Hello everyone, I'm Mark, the chief writer here at Maltopia, and I just wanted to remind you the sleep-wake cycle is but one of a series of interconnected horror podcasts within the wide and weird world of Maltopia. For Easter eggs, crossover events, and additional lore, please check out our other series, The Shepherd of Wolves, Red Mother, Grimland, and The Damnation Machine. And be sure to check out our free content on our Patreon page for additional lore and stories. For even more Maltopia content, consider becoming a patron. Starting for as little as $2 a month, benefits range from additional art, update videos, early episode access, our mini-podcast series, October's Children, both written and full audio pieces, such as The Lost Library, Tales of Maltopia, and The Weird Book. You can also gain access to our found footage show, The Weird Tape Series, and even our Patreon-exclusive, fully-produced audio series, Devil's Clay. So, with all that said, I will leave you to the darkness. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a, it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even on a budget, quality is non negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Before I could make out the inside of Kilroy's place, I was assailed by the stinking foulness living within it. Dozens of ticks, some of which I generally had a grip on, racked my body into near contortion. Guttural vocalizations and high-pitched chirps, the arching of my back to the point I thought it felt like it was going to crack, stomping my feet, twisting my neck as far as it would go. With my body so overwhelmed, I fell into the darkness beyond the threshold. I tried to look back at my sister to see if she was okay, but she'd closed down the light from her eyes, or the darkness had fallen with enough determination to block them out, locking me into a void. My strength hung by a thread, but I couldn't throw in the towel. Pushing back the alien dark, I finally made out the slightest blue glow. The light was coming from deeper inside, trembling weakly across what appeared to be a small sitting room. It was Romy, her eyes open wide and full of dread, sitting rigid in an overstuffed chair at the back of the room. She turned the muted light of her gaze upon me. She said we were going to die. Who said that? Mom. She said we're going to die horribly, just like she did. The dark was having its way with Romy's condition, too, except her power couldn't fend it off. I was beginning to lose feeling in my arms and legs, but I had to give her a moment's breath, let her pull herself together. I pried the darkness from her, its grip slowly relenting, coming away like stubborn knots of deep-rooted weeds, one tuber snapping at a time. Romy finally blinked, the room disappearing for an instant. You okay, Romy? Uh, yeah, better. How are you holding up? I'll, uh, I'll manage. But we need to keep moving. This shit is getting stronger and stranger all the time. Galen said this whole thing wasn't so much a serpent line as it was a crack in the world. I'm starting to think he was right. More and more, this place is reminding me of New Vic. How it seems to teeter on the brink of hell. Just a different hell is all. Well, that jibes with what I'm feeling. It's like I'm pushing my way closer to a gushing hole in a dam, the pressure getting worse with every step. 
I have a feeling that once we're down in that cave, the pressure's gonna get a hell of a lot worse. I just hope we can take it. Wordlessly, we pressed onward through the house, its contents feeling more like solidified shadows of objects than objects themselves. Their texture beneath my power, ephemeral, gossamer. But it was the darkness itself, how it pulsed and shifted across me, that drew most of my attention, suggesting shapes and scenes straight out of a nightmare. Holding my ticks at bay was excruciating, and my compulsion to lay my hands on every single doorknob for a full uninterrupted ten seconds didn't make things any easier. Romy's eyes bled the weakest light across our surroundings, a mansion that looked like its last occupants had pulled up stakes a century ago, though there were a few signs of recent occupation. Strange footsteps in the thick dust, shapes that barely held together as they went along, becoming more and more inhuman. A door or a wall smashed in, the clean exposed wood and plaster betraying recent violence and the strange moaning sounds that passed back and forth all around us. Maybe the echoes of the damned trapped in the sludge of all that supernatural darkness. We'd been walking for a while before we encountered a concrete threat. A group of silent figures gathered around a huge circular table. They were holding hands. Heads bowed in either concentration, sleep, or maybe death. Romy dimmed her eyes to near darkness as we crept down the hall opposite the congregation. A stray creak of soft wood brought their heads snapping up, and I noticed they weren't holding hands at all. Their limbs were fused together, forming an organic circle around the table. We froze, waiting for them to make a move. The congregants' heads returned to their previously lowered positions as a huge pitch-black eye formed in the air just above the table, out of the middle of the ring of conjoined limbs. I could feel its power pressing against my own. Romy shut down her eyes and we waited in complete darkness and silence. The house was utterly permeated by the magic murk so my ability allowed me to navigate by feel. I took Romy by the hand and led her into a side room, hoping to escape the gaze of the giant eye. While my fingers settled across the nearby doorknob, I took a moment to reflect on the congregants, noting that their clothing was circa 1920. It made me wonder if they were all that was left of some poor bunch of table tappers, spiritualists who got themselves dumped into the pit, just like Galen's people. It was a strange sensation, feeling the effulgence of the eye, its sight, move through the darkness, via the darkness, falling across the canopy of my power. It was more than reasonable to assume that the things of the dark could detect me the same way I detected them, through the resistance offered by our opposing energies. But I had an additional trick up my sleeve. I nullified the dark, rendering it incapable of detecting me through whatever faculties it possessed, faculties that did not belong in this world. But on that note, I could feel an additional detractor from my power. 
While I couldn't be sure, I think it had to do with the city slipping beneath the power of a separate reality, where my power didn't belong. Once the sweeping gaze of the eye moved beyond us, we made our way down the hallway, this time relying entirely upon my ability for guidance. The deeper we went into the place, the more lost souls I detected, caught in the weave of the alien black. At this point, I was fairly certain these were the poor bastards sacrificed to the pit, damned to wander the lightless gullet of the thing that devoured them. Turning a corner, the din of a desperate sermon withered through the shadows at us, echoing and somber, like we'd snuck into the back of a church on Sunday. The pain and cruelty of life is reflected not through some spiritual hell, but through mindless provision, where the mechanical agonies of nature unfold, executed to pointless precision. Now these things were once necessary for the functioning of our previous incarnations, where we served without knowledge or choice or meaning. But now Nyquist comes to renew our bodies once again, to swaddle us in the shadows older than the first flesh. The darkness, his darkness, now becomes us. What was first called sin is now our new skin. And what once was old will become new. And what once was dead will now live again. We walked to the edge of a balcony overlooking a vast pit of darkness. My power was too weak, too withdrawn to give me any idea of what was in it. As usual, my sister had caught right up with me, and then some. She'd already made the creatures around us for the unlucky lot that got sacrificed to the darkness. I'm guessing that's the priest from Gunther, the one they took along with Galen's family. Sounds like he's found himself a new faith. Yeah, and I'd guess his new flock is right down there with him. Right down where we gotta go. Team 27 never mentioned a huge pit taking up the center of the mansion. It seems the darkness has modified the shape of the place, just like it did with the Crickmire mansion. There's no telling what other changes could be waiting for us down there. I can float us into the pit, but my night vision's only so good without my eyes giving off light. So you'd have to guide me. I'm thinking the Mary Poppins routine will get us made, but I can sense what could be stairs winding down the side of the hole might be a better option. I wasn't sure what was worse, only being able to slightly make out the horror show around me or not seeing it at all. Although, to be honest, my imagination is pretty fertile, so in the absence of any shapes or suggestions to ground it, it'd likely only make things worse than what they really were. Which obviously is saying something, when you consider I was slipping past the spirits of men and women who'd been damned to a pit of living darkness, forced into the service of the Night God. Although, while I took them for human spirits, the shapes I'd glimpsed were far from the typical anthropoid. The darkness had its way with their forms just as it had with everything else, twisting and wringing the mundanity from any and everything it darkened. 
But there was a comfort to it all, too. A comfortable wickedness. Now that the world had become nothing less than a nightmare, it was easier to imagine myself walking the ruined spaces of New Victoria, a far more familiar depravity than the one we were currently navigating. It was the lack of reality's utter cancellation that forced my mind into contortions, trying to reconcile the real and unreal, and the speed at which they changed places. But at our current depth into the pit, our immersion into the alien dark, there was no room for doubt. The solid world was in the rear view. And while this condition was far from ideal, at least it was consistent, stable. How many nightmares had I traipsed through where I threaded in and out of nameless, faceless crowds of milling shadow? This was becoming old hat for me, at least visually. On the mental side, and the real difference between New Victoria and Marrow's, was the darkness's want to force you to find your foulest self, stare at it, become it. Whereas in New Vic, it was all about losing yourself, dissolving into the waters of your darkest, wildest imagination. I think that's why Marrow's, now at its worst, so far, was easier on me than Nuvik ever was. I was smoke. I've always been little more than a dream of myself, and the more the darkness tried to concentrate me into a lump of blackest, filthiest coal, the more I slipped between its meaty fingers. If anything, the darkness was now helping me keep things together. The same, however, couldn't be said about my brother. He wasn't much more than the will to see all of this through to do what our bosses sent us to do, and to make sure that at least I got out of all this alive. By the time we made it through the throngs of the hovering damned, all of them clamoring to hear the words of the priest of the pit, Isaiah was leaning on me for support. The entrance to the cavern had been carved into a much larger and fiercer version of the Hellmouth under Nighthead. The various heads now subordinate, in both size and detail, to the image of the serpent. The serpent, according to arithmetic lore, was the most powerful and fleeting phase of man's development. The stage between lion and vulture, when he was possessed of his most potent gifts, strength and wisdom, all at once. Moving beyond the entrance was like stepping through an invisible membrane a whispered, though tangible, migration from the outside to the inside. A new and heavier gloom piled atop us, and Isaiah nearly buckled beneath the intangible weight. I guided him to the sloping wall near us, allowing him to slide down it into a crouch. I, uh, I just need a minute. Hard to uh, keep my field up in here. The dark, it's, it's so damned heavy. I could feel it too, but likely not to the degree he did. But again, the more the dark tried to crush me into a single space, my own personal hell, the more it steadied me. Even when I thought I heard my mother calling to me, I was fine. Those tricks only worked when I was half out of my mind, confused as to what was real and what wasn't. It's okay, Isaiah. Take as much time as you need. I can't help it, but I... I keep thinking about our mother, Shar. That's what it wants, to get inside your head. You have to shut it out. 
I was wrong. Isaiah wasn't just about getting the job done. He was also regret. Whatever happened to her, no matter how terrible, none of it is our fault. You hear me? None of it. Right now, we need to see this through. It's the only way we both get out alive. I know. You're right. You're right. Okay, let's get going. We walked into the living pitch, Isaiah barely staying upright as we hugged the sides of the cave. As before, time became indistinct, and we had no idea how long we'd wandered the lightless corridor. And all along, I had the impression of something below us. Another star, shining up from the depths of soul, if not space. We need to grab some cover. Something's coming. We sank behind a large stone outcropping and waited, Isaiah using the moment to rest. There was a sound like pressure building up inside my ears, as if whatever was coming advanced from inner rather than outer space. The darkness retreated somewhat from the center of the cavern, possibly allowing the presence the luxury of normal sight. A procession straight from hell came into view. Black carriages pulled along by squealing horrors that might have been the result of crossbreeding with the ever-present eels. The respective coachmen were no less monstrous for their slightly humanoid dimensions. While they wore darksome robes and steepled hoods that mostly concealed them, the sallow tentacles and questing tongues that leaked from their coverings more than made up for their trivial humanoid appearance. All the carriages sported large vintage lanterns strung along their sides. Dim beacons that spread only the thinnest gray light across the cave, creating the hybrid illumination we'd encountered earlier. It seemed the dark somehow augmented, or maybe celebrated, the poisonous presence of each monster within their respective carriage, allowing for at least some measure of identification. I couldn't help but feel the touch of ancient dust as the crone dragon thing passed by us, merely one of a dozen or wicked souls being ushered into the ancient black. If the whole Night Christ story was to be adhered to, then these were the apostles, or in this case apostates, that would be present for the arrival of Nycris and serve as his lieutenants ever after. With the procession passed, we picked up our pace, as much as Isaiah was able. The presence of the apostates likely meant that the time of Nycris's ascension was close, and every second counted. Though the cavern continued to open up, contradicting the dimensions of the underground passage, towers rose out of the distance, carved from a darkness that made the previous gloom seem bright. A sky of alien breadth and origin yawned from above, and a sun of seething shadow tottered upon the blackest horizon. Wherever we were, it sure as hell wasn't under the city of Marrows. The Sleep-Wake Cycle is a Maltopia production. Today's episode was written by Mark Anzalone and performed by Kelly Bear and Mark Anzalone. The episode was edited by Walker Kornfeld. 
Sound production and editing was performed by Stephen Anslone, and the Sleepwake Cycle theme song was written and performed by Sean Zeller. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Maltopia. That's M-A-E-L-T-O-P-I-A. And if you'd like to know more about the world of the sleep-wake cycle and contribute to its nightmarish expansion, visit us at www.patreon.com forward slash Maltopia, where you can gain access to all sorts of art, mythology, stories, and more. For more information about the sleep-wake cycle and the larger world of Maltopia, head over to Maltopia.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.